Dedication comes through desperation. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Hi there, and thank you for being with us today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in a moment and continue his new study of 1 Samuel. You know, there are many wonderful people to learn about in God's Word, great men of faith and action that God used, like David and the Apostle Paul, men who gave their lives for the gospel, like Stephen. And today we'll look at the life and times of a woman of God named Hannah. She had some serious trials in her life, not the least of which was her inability to have a child. Here's Pastor Ed with her story in 1 Samuel 1. We meet Samuel by the end of our chapter today, a man that God used to build a bridge in a critical time in Israel's history. He was the last of the judges and the first of a new line of prophets after Moses. Uh, Samuel was was such a powerful prophet that he actually establishes a school to train prophets. And he's used by God to anoint two kings. At a time in Israel's history of great uncertainty and sinful instability. Listen, just as a side note, I want you to know that sin will always bring instability in your life. There isn't a stability that comes by choosing compromise. And there's not a stability that comes by choosing a shortcut. And there's not a stability, obviously, that comes through disobedience. And the nation of Israel, coming through the time and the years of the judges, instability and insincerity and uncertainty. God will use Samuel during that time in a nation to give strong spiritual leadership, to give direction and help and stability in a very unstable time. So by way of review, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1, that we looked at in depth in our introduction last time. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathayim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, and the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraim, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives... And then we addressed that. For those of you that are new, we addressed that last time in our study. We just started the book of 1 Samuel, so you can catch up with us because this is our second study in the book. The man had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he'd give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. We also looked at that in depth last time. I'd encourage you to pick up the study. And our rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year that she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. We saw five people introduced and only three we spent some time on. We're going to spend more time on two of them, Eli 
or actually six if you count Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. We'll look at them as they come up later in the book of 1 Samuel. But our focus last time was on these three people that God's going to use providentially in his plan. He'll use these three people to bring Samuel into the world. First, there's Elkanah. He's a man who loves God, worships him regularly, and made the sinful mistake of marrying two wives. Next, Peninnah, his wife, has won the one at this point that is blessed according uh, to the scriptures to, at the end of verse 4, she had sons and daughters, multiple kids, and even uses the word all her sons and daughters. Then we meet Hannah, his second wife, who's full of sorrow and sadness, unable to conceive a child, and yet more importantly in this, we also were introduced in verse 3 to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Yahweh, Jehovah Sabaoth. This is the first time this is used to describe in over 300 times in the Bible the powerful sovereignty of God, this Lord of hosts. If we just focus, and this is a principle for us in our own lives, if we just focus on the people and we just focus on the problems and we just focus on the brokenness of situations, I guarantee that we will leave and stay in a state of discouragement. We will stay in a state of uncertainty. We'll, you know, as we looked, we looked at a couple hard things. We had to pause. We had to look at this whole matter of bigamy or polygamy. And we asked the question, why does God, why some people will come to this and why does God approve of bigamy? He doesn't. The Bible just describes it for what it is. This is strictly, clearly condemned, not only in teaching, but it's also condemned in the order of creation. It's condemned in the Old Testament. It's condemned in the New Testament. However, there's brokenness. And we could spend, and I think many people do, their whole life arguing something like this and crafting of argument and seeking to convince people that God shouldn't approve of polygamy. Even though he doesn't, it's easy to get sidetracked on it when you just focus on the problem. It is a problem. It's clearly a problem. And poor Hannah and Peninnah and Elkanah are paying the price for it. He's created a rivalry in his house. He has created a difficulty for his own life. He's created tension among the children. And each time you read of any type of bigamy or polygamy in the scriptures, problems always come. Why? Because it's not God's heart. And it's important for us to recognize that if our focus is only on the circumstances and the difficulties, not only will we leave discouraged and stay in a state of discouragement, but we'll be led most likely to make wrong decisions. And it is a wrong decision to exclude the Lord of hosts because he changes everything. Elkanah, Peninnah, Hannah are all a part of the story, the true story of bringing this miracle kid, Samuel, into the world, a miracle child that God's going to use in incredible ways. But the real focus, the real star, if you will, of the book of 1 Samuel is the same focus in every book of the Bible, the Lord of hosts, the one that's in sovereign control. And even though we are learning from the lives of ordinary men and women, that will encourage us because, will encourage us because if, God, if the Lord of hosts, if Yahweh will use us, he'll use them, then he'll use us. Because we can look at our own lives, and I mean, we're not, we, we don't have polygamy or bigamy in our life. You better not, just in case. You're just like, well, you know, I was watching this show on cable, and it was all right for him. No, it's not all right. It's not all right. All that's, it, it's not all right. Biblically, it's not all right. Practically, it's, it's not all right. God's order and rule for marriage, we remember, very simple, right? This is the highest, the highest goal, the highest call, the best goal that we can possibly hit is one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's marriage. 
There is no other variation of marriage. Uh, even though our culture may try to introduce other definitions, there's only one definition. God created it. God maintains it. God blesses marriage. One man, one woman, one life. So even though we're learning from lives of ordinary men, the focus is not on them. The focus is on God. We don't want to lose that. The people and the events recorded for us in the Bible are part of God's salvation history. Or sometimes people refer to history as, and maybe you've heard this before, history is sometimes restated as his, capital H-I-S, story. I mean, that's what salvation history really is. It's the story of God bringing Messiah into the world so that he might die for your sins and you and I might turn away from our sins and embrace him. And so studying Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles reveals many sins and failures on the part of God's people, but they truly teach us that God is on the throne. That what the books really teach us is that when God isn't allowed to rule, there will be seasons and times when he will overrule those that will not allow him to rule to accomplish his plan and his purpose. That God will accomplish his will. That that is a fact with or without us. And the Lord of hosts will accomplish his purposes and his will for us will be accomplished. You have to agree by the time we end these first seven verses, we have to all conclude, I hope, that Hannah is in bad shape. This is not a good place for her to be in. She's in bad shape. Not only was she barren, which was tragedy for a woman in that time period, but Peninnah made a point to provoke and taunt her and pick on her and hurt her purposely year after year. A human taking advantage of another human's weakness and then using that repetitively within a familial relationship. It's unfortunate, it's sad, it still goes on today. And Hannah's in bad shape. But that's from the human perspective. Our hearts go out to Hannah. How can you not go out? In verse 7, So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her and she wept and did not eat. How can your heart not break for a woman in this condition? How can it not just say, whoa, whoa. Not only does she have the burden of being childless and having to face that, she also has the burden of sharing her husband with another woman. She also has the burden of being picked on and made fun of. She also has the burden of having not only picked on, I don't even know that that's the right word, I like the English word here, provoked. Provoked. She's hungry, she refuses to eat. She's bitterly weeping. This, this word in the Hebrew speaks of deep, deep crying, not just a tearing up of the eyes. I mean, this is a crushed woman. Then, verse 8, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? If you like to write notes in your Bible, next to verse 8, you can write this. Knucklehead. <laughs> Elkanah. A man of worship. A man that seeks to please and worship God was not a man of understanding with his wife Hannah. He didn't get it. What she needed was sympathetic understanding and empathy, but what she got instead was a remark that I think was given sincerely. We joke at it, and it's like, are you kidding me? We can, isn't it much easier to see sin in someone else's life than the own remarks that we would make sometimes? So we hear that, we read into it, we kind of joke, and we kind of laugh, we kind of, but, but it was, I, I believe he was, he loved her. 
I believe he loved her and tried to say something that, you know, that just you don't want to say. Not wise. Didn't help. Husbands, can I just speak to you for a second? Husbands, no, and ladies, no elbows required. I will take care of it all. How careful we must be in being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to our wives in serving them. You've been wondering what to pray for in your life. You've been wondering how to bring peace into your home. You've been wondering how to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You can start with just this one thing. Pray and ask God to help you to be careful in being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to your wife. That's what Peter said. Let me give you a verse, and you can maybe even memorize this verse. Turn over, hold your places in 1 Samuel. Turn all the way over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. To a woman that's barren, to a woman that's hurting, to a woman that's being provoked, to a woman that is fasting or not simply not eating because she's tired and, and she just has no appetite because she's weeping so much and her eyes are, you know, all messed up and she doesn't look like she normally would and all of the things, the last thing she needs to be told is, you know, hey, I don't I, you know, I know you're in bad shape, but aren't I good enough? Am I, am, I, am I not better to you than ten sons? You know, you almost wish verse 9 said, Hannah yelled at her, no! You don't get it. Husbands, verse 7, did I tell you where? First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I believe that what Elkanah needed is the instruction of the Holy Spirit to us right now uh, to be reminded of this important truth, husbands. And you future, you know, you single guys, you're like, that's not me. No, no, I'm preparing you for the future. Don't just check out. The Lord has marriage for you in the future. Hey, look, you need to learn this. It's better to learn it now and to pray for it now. He tells us, Peter does, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Dwell with and understand your wives. You know, I know it's a big joke. So it's hard to understand my wife. No, no, the Holy Spirit will give you insight on your wife. The idea behind dwelling and understanding has the idea that you are spending a lot of time studying your wife. That's really the picture here. That, that you are at home with your wife, physically and emotionally and spiritually. I know there were seasons where, um, and probably still, um, you know, in, in our lives, in my marriage, where I could be there physically, but not, I'd be checked out mentally. I'd be somewhere else. And Marie and I would have to talk about that, and she'd have to show me, and she'd have to tell me. Uh, I remember even a time just, just a few years ago where uh, I, I really thought that I could do two things at once. I really did. I mean, totally sincere. And the two things that I felt that I could do was talk to Marie and read my email at the same time. <laughs> or anything in front of me. Because I have a home office. Uh, I spend a majority of my study time at home because when I'm here, I want to be with people. I don't want to be locked in my office. So if I'm here, my office is really just to meet people. I don't do a lot of studying or reading because I'm always ministering to people, and I love that. So I have an office at home, and, and that way, you know, Marie has more access to me at home. So she would come in. My, my laptop would be open. And she'd tell me something, and I'd say something like, huh? What'd you say? Can you say that again? And, and for many years, she'd be very gracious with me, and she'd repeat it all over again, and we'd finally connect. And one day, I don't know what possessed her. 
One day, we were having that same kind of dialogue where, huh, what? You know, and we weren't connecting because I wasn't really paying attention because I was paying attention to the email or whatever was in front of me on my laptop there. She just walked over and just closed my laptop in the middle of what I was doing. I said, what are you doing? You can just close my laptop. I'm a mighty man of God. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. So I was probably doing something. And I was like, what do you mean you can't close my laptop? She goes, you're not paying attention. Of course I'm paying attention. You're not paying attention. And so I, I slowed down enough to listen to her, and she explained to me what she meant by that. And from this day on, I close my laptop when anybody comes in my office because I can't do both. You probably can't do both either, but I know I can't do both. I know that either I'm going to read my email or I'm going to pay attention to the person. And, and I learned, and Marie helped me with that. She helped me to understand. I, I guess I, my studying of Marie wasn't good up to that point. But she helped me by saying, you know what? You need, you need to pay attention to me. And fortunately, it was just something simple like that where you need to pay attention to me. And so now that's a habit with everyone. To the best of my ability now, if somebody comes in my office and I'm working on something, I'll do one of two things. I'll say, can you wait a minute? Let me finish this. Then I give my full attention because I'm in the middle of something. You walked in and on the middle because I have an open door policy. You can walk around my office. So I'm in the middle of something. Or if I'm not in the middle of something, I will purposely close my laptop, get a piece of paper out usually to take notes, and give my full attention. And so it goes both ways, ladies. It's not, you know, don't sit there and go, wait a minute, he just needs to understand me. You can help us. In a very kind way, don't get all, you know, don't, don't use me as an example. Or go slamming computers. And, but that was very, it was, it was something that interrupted me enough to pay attention and reminded me that I do have an obligation to really pay attention to my wife, period. She needs to get my full attention when she wants to come and talk to me. Same with my kids. Same with the people that I serve with. People are more important than my computer. Or now, you know, that was before the iPad or the iPhone. You know, people are more important. I'm always reminding the pastors to keep their phones in their pockets because it's very hard to minister to someone when you're Facebooking and they're talking to you. I'm serious. It's just, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I read recently in an article, I'm tired of it, not just, not, don't think of it just like it's a major thing here. It's not, but I'm tired of it reading because 81% of they did a survey recently. I just read it yesterday. 81% of people think it's okay to interrupt a conversation with your phone. What that means is it's okay to interrupt with a phone call, with a text message, with a beep of Twitter, a beep of Instagram. A beep. I mean, if you set all your alerts, you're going to be beeping all day. Your battery is going to go dead by noon. This is going to be going, going, going. And it can't be that important. And to give attention to people, to look them in the eye, to focus, and within the marriage, somehow Ekona just didn't have the connection of understanding. See, men, when our wives are enduring emotional pain, when our wives are going under a personal strain, you might want to jot this down. Men, do you have your notes out? Do you have a pen out? You write it on your hand if you have to. Ladies, if you're with, write it on their hand. So get this, honey. Listen, this is powerful stuff. When our wives are enduring emotional pain, personal strain, they don't need reasons, they need understanding. Hey, I mean, come on, how can you be so bad? Am I not better than 10 men? No, man, you're great. You're not, you're, the 10 sons, you're great, but I want a son. I already got a husband. I want a son. I want a son. And while we personally as men cannot experience that feeling like a mom can, we certainly can ask God for wisdom and understanding the pain that our wives are enduring and not try to replace it with some platitude because I'm certain that they love you. 
they just want a son or they just are enduring this pain or their mom just died or they're going through and you want to live and dwell, men, with your wives, with understanding. Something like, you know, I don't, under, I don't fully understand, but I'll just sit here and cry with you. Or I'll just sit here and hold you while you're crying. Or if you don't want me to be near you, I'll just, I'm going to be right over here just a few feet from you while you're weeping and fasting. And you know what? I'm just going to sit over there and pray for you. I, won't, I, I respect you. I won't touch you right now. I know you don't want me near you. I'm just going to be right over there. I'll be right near you. I'll stay close enough to you and I'll respect you when you're going through all the stuff that you're going through. And I'll just pray God to give me understanding. This, something's disconnected too with Elkanah because this has been happening year after year. She's been going through this year after year. So there is some disconnect in him too. Well, I think he cares for her. Something's going on and you just don't want it to happen with you men. Verse 9. We're making great progress. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So you know, this is hard, horrible stuff. And men, I really hope, and listening, people listening in on the radio, and I, I really hope you never have to see your wife like this. I really hope you never have to deal with this kind of issue in your, in your marriage where your wife is in bitterness of soul and, and weeping in anguish. But that's where she's at. Well, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Ed, we noticed today that Hannah was misunderstood by her husband, and he wasn't there for her like he could be. So a question comes to mind. How can and should we love and support our spouse or loved one that might be in a similar place as Hannah? Well, Larry, you know, two words come to mind in this difficult situation and in others. And as a husband facing this with your wife, I believe two things are in order. Number one, we need to step into it prayerfully. And number two, we need to step into it carefully. And prayerfully means we're going to trust the Lord with the situation. We're going to intercede on behalf of our wife and family. We're going to ask for wisdom. We're going to patiently wait. We're going to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. And then carefully, we're going to respond carefully to the hurt and to the pain that our spouse is feeling, that our wife's feeling. And really, it's a family situation as well, so that collectively, as one in Christ, even your pain as you're ministering to your wife will also be touched. But I think as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, God will give us wisdom on how to serve our precious wives. And while this isn't something that Marie and I have faced, Marie and I have faced some very, very difficult, challenging situations that God has helped me to grow. And I didn't always handle them properly or the right time, right way the first time. But God has been very gracious to us, very helpful to us. And I know he will be for you as well, as hard as it is. Just please, if you hear me out, just I say this from the posture of pleading with you, not dictating to you. Be careful not to say something dumb and something that would be hurtful, even in a joking way, but rather come alongside, strengthen and support, take that position in that role of holding up your wife and the Lord, I believe you, believe me, 
I know the Lord will use you in great ways because you are the perfect husband for your wife in this time and difficulty, even as she is the perfect wife for you. Thanks for sharing that, Ed. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word. Download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. And maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads these comments. So let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Erwin Lutzer's excellent book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit, When Your Decision to Change is Not Enough. This is a must-read for anyone who struggles with getting rid of a nasty habit. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our number, 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 1 Samuel. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.